the expert. Uh, this is a brief, informative um, conversation where we talk about your work and invite the audience uh, to ask questions and participate in the conversation. I am hoping you can just give us a little bit of backstory um, about your career and what led you to the Malton Lab and you know what's uh, going on with you right now. I'm going to let you sort of like fill in those blanks. Okay, so um, well, thank you for having me, first of all, and good morning. Good morning. Um, so I'm Elad Sintov, I'm former postdoc in the Melton Lab. So I started this career path in my PhD where I did, um, worked on, on diabetes research, mainly on primary human islets where we worked on uh, to understand the differentiation that happens in natural pathogenesis of diabetes, but also looking at a model in vitro where we could see the differentiation, but also um, find ways to uh, uh, reverse it and induce redifferentiation of beta cells after expansion in vitro. Uh, naturally, I I wanted to continue that path with diabetes, uh, specifically type one diabetes. I moved with my family to Boston and joined Doug Melton's lab as a postdoc to work mainly of everything that involves immunogenicity of stem cell direct islets or beta cells, either in an autologous autoimmune model setting or what I'm going to show you today, um, some work in recent years about everything involving alloimmunity uh, of immune rejection of stem cell derived that we anticipate to happen when we transplant those cells um, in diabetes. Um, um, that sounds so, great. And so in, in some ways, this is your, you know, your quest to find, uh, you know, the invisibility cloak, right? Yes. So finding targets to uh, address um, um, the, the fact that they're prone to be immune rejected. So finding uh, gene editing targets where we can reduce that or um, avoid that. And as you said, making them invisible to the immune system. That sounds good. Okay, take it away. Okay, so if this is uh, ask the expert, you can ask me, but I was mostly surrounded by experts in the Melton lab, in other labs. Um, the I was surrounded by great scientists, uh, starting from RA levels to postdoc and grad students. And it was a great time to learn and to be influenced and to be exposed to this kind of high level of creative thinking. And I have also thank the, the founders of this project, not just to the lab, especially JDRF who funded me personally in the fellowship. Um, Elav, can yeah. I ask you a quick question? Now that sure. Doug Melton has left his laboratory to go to work at Vertex, what happens to the laboratory? So the lab is still there. These people that you see in the picture are the people of, <laughs> Doug doesn't love, like it when I say it, so the last generation of the Melton lab members. Mm. Uh, some of the, most of them are still there working in, in to finish their projects. 
And with uh, maybe within a year, the lab will close. We don't know, but that's more or less what might happen mm. in the next year. But um, Doug left, but he's still involved. Mm. Well, that's good that people can finish their, their work. Exactly. Um, yeah, so um, as you heard before from other lab members and um, and even Doug himself, uh, our lab, Melton Lab, and other many other labs that companies uh, have worked and working on these large stepwise protocol to generate stem cell derived beta cells or islet cells. We call them SC islets. It's state six after they overgone that differentiation. But it's not only beta cells. There's other cell types in those clusters. But eventually, you can also enriched in some level to make a more pure population of beta cells. So um, even though you've, you've got a pure population of beta cells, you have, do you have some delta, um, you know, alpha, et cetera, cells sort of in the that, That's before purification. So right. most times you, in this protocol, at least you get between 20 to sometimes 40% beta cells among mm. other endocrine cells and non-endocrine cells or cells that did not differentiate well. So in order to increase the level prepared more to something to, uh, that is clinical uh, grade, you can basically um, purify it by um, using magnetic sorting or yeah. some kind of, yeah. Um, so these cells can be transplanted, and when transplanted, they were showed to reverse diabetes in animals, and they're starting to show that in humans. Mm -hmm. But the major concern that we have is that um, once transplanted, they're prone to be rejected because uh, the, their source is allogeneic, so another human, so that patient will reject those cells. But also, uh, there's a risk of re recurring autoimmunity because the patients have uh, um, their immune system is primed against beta cells. So we have to address these two uh, problems, and there's ways to protect them either by physical uh, barriers or immunosuppressive drugs, like uh, what's um, being uh, done these days in clinical trials, or uh, by altering the immune system. One example is using T regulatory cells. But our goal was basically to generate uh, gene modified lines that can evade the immune system and induce tolerance. So um, this is one way to show it of, of what I'm going to present to you today, um, where we test and evaluate what's the nature of immunogenicity of stem cell derived islets. So in simple words, we make SC islets meet an allogeneic source of human immune, immune cells or PBMCs, peripheral blood mononuclear cells, which can be easily isolated from blood donations. And we put them together in two different models, either in vitro while co-culturing them or in a, a mouse that is human, immunocompromised, but it's become, it's made to be humanized by 
injecting it with PBMCs and make kind of a mouse in vivo test tubes to right. make them meet together. Yeah. And we generate some uh, high throughput readouts either by single cell transcriptomic or by doing pool CRISPR screen, which I will more focus here today in our uh, timing. So the first question is, what's the nature of immunogenicity? What is, causes this uh, SCIS destruction that will happen when it's transplanted? So I worked on two, uh, these two models, where one, the in vivo one, is by transplanting SCIS into these immunocompromised NSG mice looking for, waiting for some insulin secretion from the graft that can be detected by ELISA in the mouse serum. And then some of the mice, half of the cohort, we inject with human PBMCs. We call it for short HPI mouse, and we compare it to the control without injection, but they are also transplanted with SD atoms. And then we monitor within a few weeks, you, you would see a graft failure in the HPI mouse in terms of human insulin that levels that is reduced. And then we go and uh, harvest those grafts from transplanted under the kidney capsule. We harvest the residual tissue that is left in the HPI compared to control, and that's compared in single cell uh, sequencing. So just to clarify, the human PBMC are coming from those who um, have type one diabetes? So no, this is a completely uh, allogeneic model. So we okay. So completely. So it's just healthy donors or non-diabetic okay, donors, for instance. Yeah. So we only concentrate on what will happen because this is a different human. Okay. Um, and then to the problem with this model, there's many problems with this model. But one point that I had to address was that looking at this time point was a very late event. Mm. So, um, and looking at early events in this model was a bit tricky. So I went to a simple uh, uh, complementary model where you just put SE islets in the same dish with the allergenic PBMCs and look within 24 or 48 hours what happens and compare it to SE islets that were not co-portured with PBMC. So I don't have a lot of time to show these results, but I can say that uh, enriched pathway included mostly JAK-STAT signaling pathway, which is mm. what uh, is involved in the interferon gamma response. Right. Uh, which leads to what I like to call alarm signaling that alerts the immune system and activates uh, uh, T-cell responses, but also other immune cell responses. Other genes that come up are apoptotic signaling that uh, makes sense because these cells are being uh, killed over time. And you can also, if I showed you images, you would see that this graft is reduced by size. And what was interesting also that there was uh, genes or that showed inflammatory uh, mediated by chemokines and cytokines, and a particular one chemokine was standing out, which was CXCL10. Mm. And this is uh, an illustration of the pathway where interferon sends that signal to phosphorylate STAT1 that internalized into the nucleus and 
orchestrate that interferon gamma uh, genes. Among them are those MHC class one that present antigens to the immune system, but there's also inhibitory signals and these chemokines. There's also other repressors, uh, feedback, uh, negative feedback uh, response like SOX1. Um, and then uh, concluding all that, uh, we wanted to know what can be done to reverse this uh, uh, immunogenicity response or the destruction of SCIAT. What can survive? What perturbation we can induce by gene editing to make the beta cells survive more? So we took this uh, unbiased approach where we look at all perturbation possible or all knockouts in the cells by whole genome pool CRISPR screen, where we have a pool of lentivirus vector. Every vector uh, carries a guide RNA and a Cas9. And overall, it, uh, it's a pool of 76,000 guide RNAs, uh, which targets 20, uh, around 90,000 human genes. So every gene is represented by four guide RNAs. Transduced into these ACIs, now we have every cell uh, with a different knockout. But when we are talking about tens of millions of cells that we can produce uh, in the lab, uh, we have replicates of every genes of between 500 and 1,000 replicates of every gene knockout. Mm. Now we can That'll work. Yeah. And so we, we kind of have the advantages of having so many cells and we can do this CRISPR screen. And we transplanted these same these cells in the same model that I showed you before in the HPI model where we transplant in under the kidney capsule and then inject H, uh, with PBMCs. Wait for the graph to, um, to show some failure by lowering insulin level that is secretion insulin secretion levels, and then uh, extract both grafts that were uh, that have failed and other grafts that were not injected with mice that were not injected with PBMCs as control. We isolate genomic DNA from those grafts and uh, sequence those um, um, barcode regions of the guide RNA, and then look at what's enriched in API, HPI grafts versus what's enriched in control grafts, and look for perturbation that uh, are tolerizing and enables uh, cells to maintain in the graft and not die. So they're kind of tolerizing genes. And these are one way to show the results where we looked at an enriched uh, knockout genes in the HPI. And you can mm. really fast uh, recognize again that these genes are part of that JAK-STAT pathway where we have HLA genes that are activatory to the immune system as we present antigens. You have STAT and JAK, which is part of the signaling uh, mechanism. And then you have one of the top hits is CXCL10, a chemokine that's once secreted and it's induced by interferon, uh, alerts the immune system. And uh, it's one of the initial inflammatory response as we see it. And 
activates immune cells or recruits immune cells or both. And by looking at genes, now we can know what can be done, what, what knockouts are beneficial to improve survival. What's, that, uh, what's the deal with the HNR uh, NPA? What is that uh, at the very top there, sort of outlier, 1P48? Yeah, so this is one of the, the, the genes that we still don't know about. It's one of, it's a splicing uh, uh, Variant. component. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so something involved in splicing. So I've marked only known genes and the top it, but there's so many hits here that are yet to be discovered and to understand what's what's their meaning. So there's a lot to work with with these results. Yeah, it's a very sort of rich environment to start yeah. playing around with. Yeah, and for my comfort zone, I chose genes that are familiar and I know because beta 2M is known when you knock it out, it's known to, uh, to protect uh, any cells mainly from in immune rejection. Interesting. So also HLA, the CXL10 was something somewhat familiar and somewhat unfamiliar in this sense. Can I ask you a couple of questions? I was at another meeting and I joined a little bit Hi. later. Hi, Desio. How are you? Uh, how many uh, hours after injection of the PBMCs do you check? Oh, so it's not hours, it's weeks. In that humanized mouse model, it takes weeks to see some graft failure. It's not very efficient. It's not as we mm. would expect to see in humans if we transmit them. And you don't get any general effect of the cells on the mouse? It's specific for the graft? The PBMCs? Uh, yeah, so I didn't mention it maybe. The, the, the mice that were used were MHC now. So that can, when they don't have that MHC, their mouse MHC, uh, you can prolong the time that you keep PBMCs in the mouse without any effects of graft versus host. And the other technical question. So you are using uh, for, uh, let's say, blocking strategies against each gene, but how do you check if the genes have indeed been inhibited? Hmm. Um, so basically you can look, before you do the screen, you can take one uh, guide or several guides for one gene that you know of. And, and for instance, I used a lot of experimentation with this beta-2M guide because we, we know it has an effect and it's easy to check if beta-2M is knocked out or not. And they use the same vector as the library, uh, which is the Lenti CRISPR version two, um, where we put the same titer, looked at how, what's the efficiency and how much of the cells are reducing the level of HLA. Okay. Yeah. And basically you get many hits, but not all of them. There's always problem and confidence. So what you, you always, need, if you are interested in one hit, you need to validate it like everything else. Yeah. And one, another question, well, first of all, this is a fantastic uh, experiment. Very, very nice. Yeah, fair me as I would say. Thank you, to that. <laughs> uh, 
when you are collecting the, uh, the grafts for the analysis, can you do histology in parallel? Because for instance, CXL10 is indeed a very interesting candidate. Yeah. And the T cells that are homing, for instance, they, at least in human type one, they express CXCR3, which is the receptor for CXL10. So if you could have histology in parallel, yeah. I don't know if it's technically feasible, you could show if, for instance, CXL10 is one of the top that uh, you have more infiltration. And then when you knock down, this, is, this decreases. So yeah. this be an, an additional proof. And that's has been shown, actually. I think there's a one paper from Bart Boat uh, yes. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, this is what I was seeing about. Yeah. So um, for our instances, for our this part, there, there was, it's not like, you, uh, they're not like in the pancreas where you have islets and you can look at islets that are infiltrated versus islets that are not infiltrated. We have one graph. I have a picture of that graft being infiltrated by T cells. It's a good point to also stain for CXCR3 for the receptor. Yeah. Um, um, but I can, the problem with um, my uh, experiment is that I take, took everything in the late stage where I didn't also have time to mention that, but in the late stage, there's not a lot of CXCO10. So we think that CXCO10 was selected out first, but we do see it in that first early events and it, it expressed. And even when we take this late event uh, gra uh, graft uh, failures or, or rejected graft, we see that the one of the knockouts that were highly enriched is CXCL10, even if it's not expressed there anymore. Hmm. Meaning in the first few weeks or days, we don't really know yet, when CXCL10 uh, CXCL has a big part in setting the fate of the cells that express it. And those that express it might be selected out first. Um, yeah, so that's where we see it. In the next slide, I can show, and uh, we'll show also CXCL staining in the MCLX, at least in full culture. Um, if I can also, so there's another part of this um, CRISPR screen where we looked in the other way. So there's those knockouts that are depleted in HPI or enriched in the control cells. And mm -hmm. these depletions um, of uh, basically are depletions of those cells that were depleted with those genes basically lost something that is essential for their survival under this inflammatory challenge. And one good example is the CD274, which is PDL1. PDL1 we know is uh, essential and it's a good ligand to express and deliver that inhibitory signal. And the fact that we see it here, uh, it's encouraging us to somewhat um, believe the other gene knockouts like SOX1, which is a repressor of Jackstat. Then there's other things like PTP genes and uh, SUMO1, which is an inhibitor of STAT1 phosphorylation. So potentially we can uh, express or activate these genes to uh, attain immune 
protection or we can knock out these genes to get the same goal. Uh, so we have a lot of, if we were to go over all this data, we have a lot of work for validation. But with my time frame, I concentrated on especially CXCL10, as we will see. And during co-culture, it does uh, upregulate, same as beta-2M and STAT1, which is the master regulator of the interferon response. And CXCL10 is also secreted over time in these culture, culture with PPMCs, where in those SC islets that you can, uh, that were co-culture with PBMCs, you see high levels of HLA proteins being uh, expressed. Some cells express CXCL10, those cells that uh, are, I believe they're a portion of the cells that are responsible, those alarm SC islets, they have staining for CXCL10. And also these cells have uh, staining for phosphorylated STAT1, which internalized into the nucleus and orchestrate all this induction of interferon genes. Um, so we chose to concentrate and, on CXCL10. Um, I, I did several lines, but I will show you about CXCL10 knockouts. So we generate ES cells with, uh, that we introduce this knockout cassette into the CXCL10 locus. We're able to pick clones that were differentiated successful into uh, SC beta. So you can see it by double positive C peptide or NKX6 line one, which 20% is usually a relative good differentiation. You can see the same when you co-stain with C peptide and glucagon, concentrated on only the monohormonal cells. The, the ones that uh, have insulin and not horm other hormones. And you can appreciate, I hope, that when induced by interferon, uh, recombinant interferon in, in culture, there is almost undetectable level of CXCL10 that is secreted. We see the same in intracellular networks. And to uh, validate this gene hit, uh, we did uh, some more co-culture experiments where we took wild-type or CXCL10 knockouts, SC islets, co-cultured them this time, not only with PBMCs, but also isolated T cells or NK cells. NK cells also have that receptor for uh, chemokines like CXCL10. And with all these co-culture, we measured a the rate of apoptosis, and we see that it's being reduced both in general population of PBMCs, but also in T cells and NK cells. Ila, this immune suppression, you know, or hypoimmunogenicity, is this um, is this global? This is not specific, right? Yes, it's not specific for beta cells. In this instance, I looked at beta cells, but if you looked at alpha cells or there's other EC cells in the differentiation, you see something similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're not saying this is a beta cell response, but we're more interested in protecting the beta cells than the other cells. Yeah. Um, so this, I think this is an interesting point that Monica mentioned. So you have single cell RNA sec. So you are allowed, for instance, to do pseudo bulk analysis on the alpha and the beta cells. 
Yeah, um, and, and again, I, I wanted to make a short uh, presentation. So if I had time, I would show you the single cell experiment where I compared, I did some differential expression between uh, immune challenge SC beta and, uh, um, so, and control cells. And then I did the same with alpha cells. And you see the same patterns of interferon gamma response genes like HLA, you see CXL10 in both. Hmm. Uh, some, uh, I, I even think it seems like alpha cells even have a bit more response of CXL10. So it's not a beta cell specific. Uh, but, but you didn't look at cell death. You are looking at gene expression. I don't know if you listen, I gave a webinar at the HERN, I think one or two weeks ago, oh, I single cells, alpha and beta. I think this is available online. Mm -hmm. uh, take a look and perhaps we can discuss later. Yeah. Because we see some differences that are subtle, but for instance, alpha cells have much more HLAE, which is protective they have more BCL, XL. So even if CXL10 is, is the same, as you say, there are some subtle differences that may contribute. Take a look at the webinar and then, yeah. I don't know if you will be at the ADA meeting next week. No. No, well, take a look and then we can, if you find the interest. Yeah, be happy to talk, yes. By, uh, yeah. Via Zoom or whatsoever. Yeah, it's interesting to see how alpha cells we are being able to protect themselves um, versus beta cells. Because they have the same response as we see it, at least in this allergenic setting. Um, hi, hi, Lad. Uh, one quick hi. question. Well, maybe two. Right. Did you did you go deeper into you know specific CD4, CD8 quantification? And as well as do you see the SOX expression change? from your data, from this pool of cells? Yeah, um, so we do see, we look specific, we can look specifically in CD8 and CD4. Uh, we do see uh, down uh, reduction in activation of CD8 and CD4 T cell activation uh, in this co-culture. Um, in terms of SOX1, it does upregulate as part of the whole lighting up of the interferon response. Uh -huh. uh, we also did some expression, experiment where we overexpressed SOX1 and it showed promising results too of something similar to what you see here, uh -huh. reduction of the immune response. So it's another nice target to experiment with. Yeah, yeah, I like that approach. Yeah. That's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just to finish this um, slides, um, I did another validation in, in vivo, which is a longer experiment, but it was uh, very important to try, where we took the same HPI model, only now uh, separately transplanted either wild-type SCLS or CXCL10 knockout islets from that line. And parts were of the mice were injected with PBMCs and part were left as a control. And we looked at these yellow cells, yellow bars, these are the wild type. And you can see that with those mice that had PBMCs, 
uh, insulin level were reduced, while CXCL10 uh, transplanted uh, mice uh, with or without PBMCs, they showed more or less the same level of insulin and there was no change, implying that they kind of escaped that immune response mm. in that sense, same as we see in vitro. Uh, to conclude, I, I, we did this uh, broad, uh, um, mod, uh, broad experiments with CRISPR screen and stem cell and single cell transcriptomics, um, where we could detect something that was crucial, seemed crucial for determining the fate of SCIDs when they're going to be transplanted. And what, it seems that interferon response is important to alert the immune system and a strong player in SCIDs immunogenicity were able to uh, find potent targets that some of them I couldn't show you all of them today, but we did some experiment with lentivirus to knock out or overexpress specific components of the interferon response, either the receptor or STAT1, either overexpress SOX1, as I just said, and PDL1. And we we considered CXCL10 because it looked very promising. So we went on to generate this line, which seems to have uh, immune evasive properties in both in vitro and in vivo. Uh, and it shows that we can lower T cell and NK cell activation by uh, depleting that harmful genes, that, uh, uh, that harmful chemokines um, as we see it. Um, that's it for my slides. I, if you have more questions, you like to discuss more. Um, I think we have still have time. Yeah, I, we can run a little over because uh, the discussion has been really great. But I wondered if um, anyone would like to um, ask another question, just unmute yourself and dive in. Yeah. Um, again, this is Jean Luc. So, so obviously, you know the um, CXCL10 deletion is a well, the signaling is done through your jack in a pathway activation. So, so what is what is your thought? Is this way universal immune activation, i.e., is that the reason why JAK inhibitor being applied in the transplantation were due to the fact that it's mediate the CXCR10 uh, uh, activation? So, so i.e., you know, uh, what is your opinion of CXCR10 target, not only just for the inflammatory potential for autoimmune disease, but you know, in the transplantation world as a universal approach uh, as to you know, the current JAK inhibitor being applied. But as we know that the side effect is very, very heavy. So what is your opinion of targeting the CXCR12 I mean, CXCL10, I'm sorry, uh, as a alternative to potentially minimize the impact of the side effects. Yeah, I think uh, I have an experiment with the JAK inhibitor. I know it's, uh, it, it seems like promising to inhibit that immune response. Maybe part of the mechanism is reducing uh, the level of CXCL10, but it could also involve the HLA lowering, uh, reducing HLA presentation. 
Um, it's, I think it's valuable to reduce the dependency on drugs, um, using drugs. And if we can avoid that, um, this is a great way by using a gene modified line or finding some other ways to reduce it without uh, perturbing too many genes. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we I, I think we also need to be cautious in depleting the whole interferon response because if, yeah. for instance, you knock out stat one or you knock out the interferon receptor, you also le lose uh, inhibitory signals like PDL one or SOX one. So yep. there there should there, it's a tricky uh, situation if you silence the whole pathway. I think we need to concentrate on what's most harmful. And we saw that CXCL10 is something that we might want to get rid of. It's not doing really good in our cells. So why do we need it there? Yeah. Can I just ask, you know, if you get rid of the CXCL10, then, you know, what is the um, risk for sort of a teratoma going undetected? Or is there none? Yes. Yeah, so this, uh, there's always the the problem with the risk of um, making the cells the for neoplasma and making cells that are immune evasive to the immune system. Because then, if there is a tumor, then it, it will be there and won't be detected. Um, so, so, but that will always be a problem even when immunosuppressive drugs or other gene modification that are being targeted nowadays uh, from other labs or companies. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's an important issue and needs to be addressed. Uh, finding ways either by uh, thinking really good where you transplant the cells so they can be extracted if needed or some talk about uh, inducing some suicide genes or other ways to make sure these cells are not harmful in some yeah. situation. Or maybe some kind of new visualization yeah. um, that can really, you know, monitor them carefully and uh, regularly. Yeah, and there's ways to also get rid as much as possible from those un- differentiated cells that may cause a problem. Well, like yeah. it's even one cell that still is, uh, has pluripotency and it's not differentiated, which can cause something that resembles a tumor, you need to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if any study out there comparing the, the CXCR10 knockout versus the you know, pet inhibitor, I mean, jack inhibitor, I consider that it's more like well, broad spectrum inhibition. Yeah. You do parallel, right? So you kind of do a jack inhibitor as comparing side by side with the knockout mouse and then expose them to pen cancer inducer. See, you know, um, if just to validate CXCR10 here is that, you know, have differentiation compared yeah. to Jack inhibitor as a broad effects. 
So, uh, so basically, if every perturbation that we do or every line that we do needs to be evaluated in many different ways to make sure it's uh, safe. Um, and there's there's a whole I guess there's a whole pipeline. So I just showed one clone, but there's should be evaluated like twenty or hundred clones to see that they're the most safe, the most treat the most the best cells that you can use to treat. Right, mm -hmm. right. These cells that I used might be not very good to be transplanted in humans because they don't make enough insulin, for instance. But I just wanted to show the concept that. Yeah, you're still learning about, you know, what's actually going on in the mice using yeah. mice models and <clears throat> it's all contributing to the knowledge base. Yeah. And I mean, they're very elegant experiments that you've done. And thank you so much for sharing them with us. I did want to ask, like, what's next for you? I mean, are you looking for positions? Are you interested in that? I mean, we are happy to kind of send that out along the wires. Or uh, Yeah, I'm looking for jobs in the industry right now. Yeah. Fantastic. And you want to continue in this line of work? I'll try. Yeah. Everything related. Um, um, there's many interesting things around there. It's not, it, it, hopefully I can continue this and this spectrum, but could be other things that might be uh, interesting in the same level of interest. That's great. I actually have a couple of people in mind that I'm going to set you up with um, and connect you with after this talk. So, I mean, it's beautiful work. Thank you so much great. Thank you. for speaking with us today and showing us this, you know, detailed and elegant work as you're kind of like, you know, gently and delicately sort of teasing out um, these important um, targets. Great. Okay, then. Um, Thank you so much. Oh, sorry. Have a great rest of your day and hope to see you again soon. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, feel free to contact me to discuss these ideas further. Yes, absolutely. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye.